0: Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote unquote summer body as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months, when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open, and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong. Or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. If you don't subscribe to our Women's Performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. I am so excited to present today's episode. It is a conversation that I had with the one and only Victoria Brumfield at the Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit last month in Tempe, Arizona. Vic is the newly appointed CEO of USA Triathlon, and before that, she was chief of staff there for many years, so many of you will know her. She also held senior positions at Virgin Sports and Lifetime Fitness, so leadership really is her jam. On Sunday morning at the summit, Vic and I did, had a conversation on stage that we called CEO Mindset, and I'm so glad we recorded it. Thanks, Ella, because it is one of my fave conversations ever. Vic and I talk about everything from learning to believe in yourself to understanding your own strengths and weaknesses and getting out of your own way and how to lead with vision and everything in between. Good morning, everyone. Okay, was did, did everyone enjoy yesterday? Yes. Woo. Who learned something? Who learned five things? Yes, amazing. So did I. Um, well, thank you all for being here and for sharing your expertise with us and with each other. I wanted to kind of pick up where we left off yesterday uh, in terms of when we were up here talking about imposter syndrome. I think uh, if we're going to take that whole conversation to the next level, what we really want to talk about is what Catherine is calling CEO mindset, like how we lean into our strengths, how we become a leader, um, and how we kind of take that next step to building the business. So that's what we're going to talk about. Did you have anything to say before we get
1: going? Good morning.
2: (laughs) No, I'm really excited to talk about these things. And I have to say, when uh, hearing Catherine talk about the goal setting that we're going to be doing... I am a huge believer in goal setting. And so I don't know if that's something we'll talk about, but I've always been a really big goal setter. And sometimes they're time constrained. I typically do them annually. And oftentimes they manifest themselves two or three years later. But I really do believe in the power of writing down what it is you want to accomplish and how you want to accomplish it. So hopefully we get to touch on that as well. But I, I really encourage us all to lean in to that next session.
0: We can touch on whatever you want to touch on. (laughs) You are in charge. Um, I also wanted to just put out there before we get started that like very, I'm very much consider myself midstream on everything that we're talking about here. And I, you know, five years ago, like I was the solopreneur who had no idea how I was going to make shit happen. And now I'm kind of like in the middle (laughs) somewhere. Uh, We have seven people full-time now at Feisty. Uh, So if anyone like, wants to talk about like that journey and those those first five years, I'm totally here for it and would love to share my experience so that, yeah, so that we all can move along that journey together and have more amazing, bigger companies led by women, which would be great to see, of course. Okay, so Vic, I, I want to talk to you first about maybe like, did you always have a goal? You said goal setting. Did you always have a goal of being the CEO of a federation or did you Did that kind of come? Did that come by a different way?
2: It's a great question, and it's something I haven't really thought about. I've always loved being in charge. So whether I was a little kid, you know, elbowing others to get out of the way so that I could be captain of whatever the thing was that I made up that wasn't a thing, like I just loved being out front. And so, from that perspective, I can look back and say, yeah, I probably did want to lead a company someday. But I will also say that. I've always worked for brilliant wonderful entrepreneurial leaders who were great mentors to me. We can talk about the power of mentorship as well. And I I always wanted to be them, but I will say I didn't often think I could be them. You know, like I thought, "Well, gosh, they've got such big vision or they've got so much, you know, um not just confidence, but they would put their own financial money on the line for what it was that they were that they were building." And I loved being number two because it always felt like, well, I have the ability to lead their organization really well, but they're the ones with the vision. And so, you know, yeah, I wish I could be that someday and I'd love to be them, but I don't know that I necessarily aspired to be them. Um, So I don't know if that's a clear way of saying I've, I've definitely wanted to be in charge of something. I love leading things and I didn't really know that it was possible for me. I will say that that's what's been really exciting about being in an interim role. So what happened was when I came to work for USA Triathlon, I came on as the former CEO Rocky Harris's first hire. And it was a big turnaround project. It was a time when, and actually who's been familiar with USA Triathlon for more than five years? So I had worked with USA Triathlon starting in 2001, and I didn't really know who they were or what they did. So I'd been associated with them because I put on a national championship and the Olympic trials and a world championship. I produced these events. And so I understood the relationship, but I didn't really understand the scope of the organization. And what happened is, and we can talk about this more as well, that the sport had been on this incredible upward trajectory. And I think anytime something is incredibly successful, it's really easy to get lazy and to not be innovative and collaborative. And I think that that's something that happened with USA Triathlon because the sport was booming Regardless of what USA triathlon did, they did do some good things, but they also did some things that didn't necessarily continue to uplift and grow the sport. And then what happened is there was this huge decline in endurance sports nationally and globally. And you saw it, whether it was in triathlon or endurance running or, you know, the like, uh, obstacle course racing and color runs and all these other things, there was this huge decline. And I think it's like, when you look back in high school on the like really cool kids, like they didn't have to be nice or have skills because they were just cool, but then they graduate and like, then what? And so it was a, then what moment for USA triathlon, the sport was declining. It wasn't as cool anymore. And so what was left? And at the time the board realized they needed to bring in a new leader. And that new leader came in, brought me in. And so the whole point was to lead this huge turnaround project. And the reason why I tell this story is because I absolutely loved every moment of it. And I have my thumbprint on every single evolution of what's happened at USA triathlon over the last five years. And I wanted to be Rocky Harris, but it never occurred to me that I could be him because I was the person doing the work. I wasn't the person leading the vision. And when he left in August, I moved into the interim role for the last three months. It gave me an opportunity to realize I also have the vision. That's why I've been so good at doing the work because I believe in it. And actually you can do both. And so that was a really instrumental three months in my in my life and how I think about what's possible for me. And I also think it informed how I positioned why I believed I should be the next CEO when I was going through the application process. So to answer your question is maybe deep down I always wanted it and I but I didn't really know I could do it until now. And now that I've seen that it's possible, I couldn't be more excited.
0: You know Vec, I've been waiting to tell this story, but when you first got your job um, as chief of staff, one of my friends, I f- I forget who it was, but reached out to me, sent me this email and said, Hey, check out who USAT hired. She is way overqualified. Like, how did they get her? She is so amazing, you know? And so, like, from our point of view, as out as like outsiders, we were just stunned at your qualifications. And and obviously we knew that you were completely qualified or overqualified for your job um and so i think i, I think coming out of what you just said i, I was thinking i was going to ask you when you thought you could lead but it sounds like it was when you really became interim ceo um have you had any trouble at all like sometimes it's hard as as an organization grows to actually like let someone else do the work like to take care of the details. Cause I think that's a really important thing. Like when you even, whether it's like your first employee or contractor or like you have a hundred of them, sometimes it's like, you want to, you want it to be done well. So you keep doing it. So did you struggle at all with that?
2: Yeah. And I, I want to answer that, but I also want to go back to your comment about coming to USA triathlon being overqualified, whatever that perception was. So I came from, I was working for a startup for Virgin, and we were building a startup in the UK, in the US, and it was this incredibly exciting opportunity. And for a lot of reasons, we ended up closing down and selling the UK business. And so for that reason, I was able to look for a new opportunity. And I never thought I'd leave New York City. I'm a natural fast walker. I'm like, where else could I possibly go? And I'd been looking for my next dream job, and I actually had this incredible opportunity with a very well-known brand to go in and lead a very big division for them. It was almost double the money of USA Triathlon. It was a very prestigious brand. And when I was about, I, I had actually gotten the offer letter from them. I got a call from Rocky Harris's assistant to come meet with him like two days later. And so I came out and met with him and they came back to me with an offer. And I remember talking to all my friends and confidants and mentors about the two opportunities. Not one person told me to go to USAT. They're like, that's a huge mistake. <laughs> They're like it's the middle of nowhere, it's a lot less money, it's a national federation that is in a very tough spot, right? Like it's it's not a progressive organization, it's not a progressive space. The Olympic and Paralympic movement was very stagnated, it was going through a lot of turmoil at the time. It was around the Larry Nassar time and it was just a really rough time in that movement. And what I found was When I ask people their advice, I actually don't listen. (laughs) Like you you hear it and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, that's good for you. But what I found was it wasn't what they said. It was how I talked about my opportunities that got me my answer because I remember saying, well, I'm going to go do this one thing. It's really cool. It's a lot of money. It's in Los Angeles. It's another big city. It's like, you know, all these great things or there's this place in the middle of nowhere and it's like a total disaster (laughs) and it's like no money, but I'm like, but it sounds interesting. Right. And then they'd be like, no, but I started listening. And this was actually when I talked the other um, evening about journaling it's listening to your tone and what it is that actually you enjoy writing or saying. And it takes time sometimes to recognize it. But for me, that's how I knew it's what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to do it because going back to what I talked about with my values, like where could I have the biggest impact? I knew if I came to USA triathlon, I could turn that place around and I could serve a sport that I really cared about that served my life. And I just got so excited about that opportunity. So that's how I knew it was the right decision. And the right decision usually has nothing to do with money or prestige or power or location. It really has to do with the work that you get excited about every day. So that's why I chose to come to USA Triathlon. And it's been the best decision every single day. I've I've loved it. And it's been hard at times. Um, I'll say, you know, Megan is one of the incredible employees who floated to the top that stayed from the previous era and hopefully found an opportunity to thrive through the reorganization. But I would say 90 percent ish of our staff has turned over in the last four years. It's been a massive turnaround project and And it's also incredible to see where we are today. We have, um, during COVID even, and for the last three years, our staff through survey has rated us a best place to work through Outside Magazine and Front Office Sports. And that was during COVID. That was a hard time. And that's because people genuinely love being there because we are now mission-driven and purpose-driven, and we hold ourselves accountable to really high standards. And I think people thrive in that environment if they're the right people and if they're in the right place. So to answer your question about delegation, delegation's hard, especially when you come into a place and you haven't built trust with those to whom you're delegating. I think now delegation's so much easier because we have such an incredible team that we know if we give them work, it's not only going to get done, it's going to get done in a better way than than I would have done it myself. So it's becoming easier, but delegation is always really challenging. And I would say that there are levels of delegation. I think that the times that people feel burned by delegating is when you delegate something to someone where it's outside of their scope or capacity, or they haven't been given enough direction, or you haven't given them clarity of how to prioritize what it is that you've delegated versus whatever else is on their plate. So delegation is hard. It is an amazing tool if you delegate properly and really understand where is the person professionally, skill-wise and attribute-wise that you're delegating to? Do they have the capacity to do the work? Have you give them clear guidance as to what success looks like in that thing that you've delegated? And, and have you delegated within the realm of what's what they're capable of? And I would say, lastly, have you helped them prioritize? Because sometimes we delegate things on top of a full plate and then we get frustrated that the thing we delegated didn't get done. But All they know is that the five other things on their plate, you've also told them are important. So helping them prioritize is also helpful.
0: Yeah, you just, I'm like writing notes frantically of things to follow up with. But, you know, for me, just on that question, it's been like, there's been a different process because I when when I'm adding people to my team or when I'm partnering with new people, we're always growing. Um, And so I think I had a realization maybe 2 or 3 years ago that like actually i needed to get out of my own way and make sure i was employing people that are actually better than me at the things that we need done and that's that can be that can be really difficult when you're doing it a lot <laughs> you know because it's like okay you come from a place where you are doing everything in your business to like what is my what are my weaknesses looking at that and saying who do i need to Who do I need to fill that? What kind of characteristics do they need to have? And how can they be better than me at it? And just get out of your own way. So it can be hard, especially if you do have if you are carrying a bit of that imposter syndrome with you. So it's like this double thing. You just have to keep believing and and pushing forward. Um, That's been my experience. Um, I have like 12 (laughs) follow-ups. You you mentioned a lot of things, but I wanted to, you, you mentioned values. And I know you talked about that a little bit on Friday night, but like, are you able to articulate like what your values are in, especially now as they relate to your position with USAT?
2: Yeah, I actually, I did a values pie chart like years ago of what I value and then like how big of a slice of the pie was it for me. Um, And I, I don't know if I'll, I'll remember this correctly, but in in no particular order, I really value adventure and challenge. And I kind of put those in the same slice. Uh, I really value having an impact. And so whatever that may mean, like I don't want to do something that doesn't have meaning um, it's got to be meaningful and impactful. And and maybe that's just to me. Maybe it's meaningful or impactful externally that could have different meanings. Um, the other is I guys is so silly. I really value animals. I just like I love nature and animals so much. I was one of those kids that just wanted to be a veterinarian. And just I was like, I don't remember one time when I was 5 I like ran away from home and my mom couldn't find me for a day and I had apparently climbed a tree in a, in a neighboring field and climbed onto a horse I would like coaxed it over and I just spent the whole day just like laying on this little horse. <laughs> and so but I just I feel such a connection to nature and animals and I think that that's one of the reasons why I love sports so much is it really pushes you to get out, at least our sport, endurance sports, into nature and experiencing um, the world outside of our four walls. Um, I also, I really value learning. I just, I've, and, and let me clarify that learning is, is a different path for so many of us. I didn't follow a traditional education path. I didn't actually love school growing up. I was not engaged in uh, school at all through high school. Um, I was somewhat engaged through college, but mostly just because I wanted to graduate and get a job. Um, it wasn't really b- till business school that I really loved formal education, but I've always loved learning a new task, a new skill um i spend when i do read or listen to audiobooks or podcasts they're typically like yours podcasts or audiobooks that are focused on development and um thinking differently about learning and life and so um i think valuing learning is really impactful to me um it also makes you think about what you don't value and i know this is going to sound really odd and maybe this just has to do with my childhood i don't really value family and in relationships. It's not something that I've ever really, um, felt tied to. So, but that's also given me freedom to make choices where I wasn't tethered to decisions around family or relationships. But, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to think about as well. Like not only what do I value, what do I not value? Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of how I think about my, my value pie. I love that. Thank you for saying that. That
0: you don't value family. I feel like um I'm I'm saying no. <laughs> no, I mean valuing family is a wonderful thing, right? And it's actually really hard especially as women I think to say, "Oh, I have a different set of values." Like it's not like I don't think you're saying that you don't value family like no one should have a family. (laughs) Like, Like You're just saying that for you, this is how you're choosing to live your life. And, you know, I have felt like that as well in terms of like how, like I was never going to have a kid without a dad that was going to be doing at least 50 percent or more of the work right like 50 well we're at 55 approximately right now (laughs) it's easy to tell when you're divorced because you know who's spending time where um but yeah that was and like there's a reason i only had one kid you know and i always had goals that were uh kind of that were more in the range of like i want to affect a lot of people you know i want to like i want to build a company i want to um do something that that has an impact um, and raising children has also has a big impact and I'm always like grateful that there are and this like leading to where to what I want to talk about next a little bit is like recognizing that like you know it, it's fine for me to not value motherhood right but for the propagation of the species we we need some people to value that
2: right um, yeah yeah go so, and also, you are all amazing women. So, if you want to have babies, you should have lots of them because we want more of you in the world. Um but I'll also say that I think our society really values people, and I think I talked about this maybe on Friday night. It's a blur. but we really society values people who have known exactly what they wanted from a very young age and been so consistent, right? You see it in politics. I have always believed this one thing and I've never changed. And if you do change, you're, you're scrutinized or you're penalized for changing your point of view. My points of view and my values have evolved and they are going to continue to evolve. And that pie, I could absolutely change over time. And I actually think that it's really important to be open to self-evaluation and change. And there may be a point in my life where family becomes the most important thing. And that's okay. I don't think we have to tie ourselves to saying, I've always valued this specific thing and this specific ratio, and that's who I am. Because it's an infinite game, right? Like I love, if any of you have ever read Simon um, Sinek's book, The Infinite Game, I absolutely love it. Never think about our lives in a finite way. This is how it is. This is how it's going to end. Think about life infinitely. And if you do that, evolution is essential to the process. And that could include what you value and proportionately how you value it.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. And yeah, I, th- I think like where, where I was going with that about values and motherhood is that like I that's one way I've evolved quite a lot the last few years is like really do having a making a big effort to see other people to see their strengths and weaknesses, and to be able to say how can we work together because I value collaboration that's like my number one. Um, And then also like, recognizing that the fact that someone values something completely different to me is actually really, really important, and even really important to our business right? Um, I think of like, I was thinking of like, Catherine and I are like, we're like completely aligned on like a lot of things. And then there's some places where our skill set is just like completely divergent. And I absolutely like, it could almost bring me to tears, like how much I appreciate like both of those things, right? Like the fact that she's so good at some things that I'm not good at. And the fact that actually, in terms of like the mission of the business, we're aligned. So that's kind of what, what um, yeah, what I wanted to ask you too, is like, what are your places of weakness? Like where do you look for support in terms of, in terms of your
2: role? Well, I think, and I, I imagine Catherine would say the same thing that she's in awe of, of your skill sets where you diverge as well. And it's a great question about where my weaknesses are. I have a lot of weaknesses. I mean, the, the thing is, is that we, none of us are, are great at everything. Right. And I think that one of the things I'm really good at is I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good range. And I think part of that has to do with how my career evolved. Um, when I first started coming out of college, I worked for a sports marketing agency in New York city, and they had a combination of both owned events and consulting work or client work. And one of their big own events was a professional women's tennis tournament in suburban New Jersey, the A and P tennis classic. It was the flagship property that funded this entire organization for which I worked. And while I worked on the agency side of the business, the, The tournament was essentially the the bread and butter of the company. So the title sponsor who'd been a title sponsor for 10 years expired the month of 9-11. And to replace a multi-million dollar title sponsor of a women's tennis tournament in suburban New Jersey right after 9-11 just didn't happen. And the proprietor, the owner of this company, had to shut down his entire business that he'd operated for almost 30 years with employees who'd been there for over 20. And it was, it was devastating. And he kept one employee, and that was me. And I was like, I don't even know, 22, 23 years old. I was so young. I had no experience. I was probably the cheapest employee that he had, which is probably why he kept me. And And I became responsible for not only running, but rebuilding his business. And so at a very young age, I was forced into these leadership roles to really learn every area of the business, whether it was marketing, finance, HR, operations, all of these things I became responsible for. And so while I didn't have a lot of experience, I probably made a ton of mistakes. I had the freedom to really learn and grow and develop. So I developed this huge range, but What I do miss is a deep skill set in a lot of those things where a lot of people spend their careers honing a specific area, you get to go really deep. I haven't really had the opportunity to go really deep in any one area except maybe event operations. And for that reason, I do really lean into, especially at USA Triathlon, which is a big, complex organization. We have almost 70 employees, an $18 million budget. It's And we oversee multiple constituents and clients, so or customers, and so it's very complex. So for that reason, it is so important that I lean on people who truly are experts deeply in their field of focus.
0: Yeah. Thank you. That's such a great point. Um, I, I have a few more things I want to talk to Vic about, but if anyone in the room is like struggling with something in particular that we can help with um, please make a note of that right now. Cause I'm going to ask you that. And I know it's a pretty big question just to throw out. So spend a couple of minutes thinking about that um, while we're talking, I wanted to talk about mentors Um, How do you find yours and how do you kind of, how do they function in your life? Do you like walk
2: up to someone and say, I admire you. Will you be my mentor or (laughs) how, how does that work for you? I feel like the whole concept of formal mentors is more recent. Um, where you can actually ask someone to be your mentor. I was assigned to be someone's mentor this past year, and it's it was wonderful. We talked once a month, and um, I actually learned a lot from her. But throughout my career, mentorship wasn't a formalized thing. It was just something that evolved. And I will say that The people who are the biggest champions in my life were my former employees, employers. Um, My first boss, John Korf, who owned the agency that we talked about. Mary Wittenberg, who was the CEO of New York Roadrunners, who then uh, started Virgin Sport, for whom I worked. Um, And then as well as Rocky Harris at USA Triathlon. So the people I worked for were probably the people who guided me professionally the most because, again, they were the people I aspired to be. And I think that what made them the most powerful mentors for me is I aligned with them philosophically, culturally, like they, the way that they experienced bringing business to life brought me to life. And so I loved that about them. And also I had a relationship with them where they gave me really hard feedback and that's so tough from somebody that you admire so much to give you tough feedback and it's exactly what made me stronger. I still have in the back of my mind being in a meeting with Mary Wittenberg and she (laughs) heard passing me a little note that says, listen more, talk
1: less.
2: (laughs) And I think about it all the time and it's so true. And John Korf all the time telling me, If you are not fun, you can't make an event that's fun. All the time. You can only create something as fun as you are capable of having fun. And I think about that all the time, you know, or Rocky Harris, what he taught me, and this is so good, is that, I mean, I probably like lean a little bit more towards dictatorship. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's just so much easier to say, this is what I want, go do it and rocky harris was all about to your point collaboration that the only way things get done in a su- in a sustainable long term way is if the people who are responsible for bringing it to life are bought into it from the very beginning and it doesn't mean manipulating anyone it means bringing them in Laying out like what the vision looks like and together asking the questions and pushing them in the direction that eventually get them to the same conclusion that you believe is the best direction. And the reality is, if you work with them collaboratively, you're probably going to end up in a little bit better uh, place than you would have been if you had just said, here's where I want to go. And so that's something he taught me that I think about all the time.
0: That's actually something I think quite a lot about too, because I'm so collaborative that I'm listening to everyone all the time. And like (laughs) everything that at some point I have to say, no, this is, this is the direction we're going. Um, And so that, that line is like, and it's different for every decision. Um, And then in terms of mentors, like I find there are a lot of people are looking for mentors. There are a lot of um, women's entrepreneurship mentorship programs. I'm sure some of you are familiar with the ones you have in your local areas, but I have found that, them so helpful um, and I've done those kinds of programs I think three times I had one the first time I did it it was like hyper successful I had a woman who was running a um, a media a small media um, endeavor in the cycling space and so it was like boom. Like we, she was able to tell me everything I needed to do. Um, and then through the same organ- organization the next year, I had another mentor and it just wasn't a match at all. Like it was, it was almost the opposite. Like I ended up mentoring her, which that's also fine. Um, but you know, I, so I've had a mix. So, so press on, you know, if you don't have, cause it is hard for those organizations. I've tried to run those programs before too. Like it's hard to find that those matches too so keep looking for them if that's if it's easier for you to just su- to sign up for a program that's available it makes it easier than like trying to go out in the world looking around the street like who could be my mentor <laughs> you know some i recognize that sometimes that is difficult um okay where did we want to go next decision making yeah we okay yeah that was where like there's a lot of yeah as as ceos like i find my i have only just recently considered myself a legit ceo by the way like but <laughs> thing, you know like every founder of anything can like be like can be ceo and and i and i like that language too like you can be the ceo of your life you can be the ceo of your you know of your Side hustle. That, that's completely fine. But really, I think like um, I'm now in a place where I can where I consider myself doing things like like a lot of decision making, a lot of outward looking for the business and then and then managing the team, which I consider kind of core CEO type jobs. I don't know where I got that from. I just made up that definition. Um, But yeah, decision-making, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, you made a comment about in collaboration at some point, you just have to make a decision. And I think this is actually something in your life and in your business is really important is clarifying and getting, not just clarifying, but getting a strong point of view on how you approach decision-making. Because... What people want from their leaders is someone who's visionary and decisive. Where organizations struggle is when they swirl. And they swirl because you're getting ideas or maybe there's a lack of confidence or maybe there's a lack of direction. And so it's just so hard to actually move forward, which is one of the most dissatisfying feelings ever. When you're working hard towards something, but where is it going? It just feels like this tornado of of inactivity even though you're exhausted all the time. Decision-making is what moves you forward. And so one of the things I love that I I remember reading years ago is Jeff Bezos' approach to decision-making. He puts it into two categories and I might get these flipped, but there's type one decisions and type two decisions for the purpose of this, I'm saying, I don't remember which one's which, but type one decisions are decisions that are reversible. These are the decisions that you should make quickly and swiftly and move forward because at the end of the day, you could go back, you could change direction and it's not going to uproot or upend your entire life or business. Type two decisions are the ones you really should stop, pause, think, research. What are the consequences? Bring together people who are impacted by these decisions and make a really thoughtful decision based on a really thoughtful process because you can't go backward and clarifying the difference between those two. Some of the biggest challenges I've experienced in my career is working with or for or around people who get those two mixed up. We spend way too much time thinking about debating on type one decisions, right? Like just move forward. What's the worst that happens? You know, maybe you'll get some blowback. Maybe it won't be the right decision and you get some pushback and you can evolve. You can say, oh, great. Based on this feedback, we decided to do X. It actually makes it look like you're listening more. The type two decisions people make too quickly and too swiftly. And those are the ones that you can't come back from. So really in your own business, in your own life, clarifying between those two. Perfect example. Should I get another puppy? Type one or type two decision? Type one. So I put a deposit down on another puppy.
1: Nice. <laughs> amazing.
0: The other thing I would add to that too, that's I forget which is which, which is the one that you need to take time over. It's a big decision. You can't go back on. I,
2: I think it's type two, but if you researched it, I may have gotten them flipped, but either way, they're two different. So one is easy. You can reverse. One is more challenging you can't reverse. Right. So when you have the more challenging one that you can't reverse
0: and, you, and you're you having trouble making that decision, like, is there something you could do that would be a step towards that to test it? Right. So like actually what you're making a decision on could shift. Um, that's something that like we've done a lot is like, actually, do we have to spend like 10 grand on creating this thing and then see if our audience likes it? Like, could we create something that costs us two grand to do and then... And then see if our audience likes it. Could we do a poll on Instagram and find out who actually wants this thing? You know, Um, so I think like that's that's something actually Catherine's helped with a lot, too, is like thinking in that way. Um, If if you're having trouble and especially if there is like a capital outlay um, involved in the decision that you're making.
2: Yeah. One quick comment on that. And I I love the comment of it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. There's also this trap we fall into of looking like you're in your 10th year in your first year. And that takes big upfront investment. And going back to my experience at Virgin Sport, one of our biggest challenges was launching a brand with this huge established brand around it. There was the pressure to go out so big, so developed, so established, aligned with the Virgin brand that we just, we couldn't do it. And I think that as entrepreneurs and people who are starting your own business or are working in an entrepreneurial environment, it is completely fine to do things incrementally. So be scrappy. One of my favorite analogies that I came up with when I was at Virgin, and I do not it's funny because I don't play video games, but in my head, I play Duck Hunt and like Super Mario Brothers in like the fifth grade. But in my head, I think about business as a video game. So, If you started on level 10, you would die instantly. You have to start on level one. You have to learn how to survive on level one, and then you go to level two. You have to learn how to survive on level two, and then you go to level three. And some of us may move up really quickly, and some of us may get really stuck on a lower level, but you have to get that level right before you move on. At Virgin, we tried to be level 10 when we were at level one. And I think that's what ultimately forced us out of the business is because it just, it was too big of an investment in too short of a time.
0: Yeah, that just made me think, you know, and there are areas in which like when I started and when anyone is starting their endeavor, like you'll be level 10 on some things. Like I was, I was a pro athlete. I was level 10 on grit and determination and ability to like stay the course. Um, I was level one on corporate law. Like, <laughs> like what the hell, you know? So there were like so many things that like, the things that I had to learn from base and but then other things and, and knowing the difference is actually really important too. Um, did you have anything else? I'm, I'm wondering if folks have a question. Do people have questions for us? Well, could you come up and speak into the mic? How about we start over here? Just, we're recording this. I may, we're recording this for a podcast. So we want the audio.
1: Okay. Hi, I'm Alex. Um, I'm probably going to botch this question, but it made sense in my mind. Um, So how do you stand your ground on something that you believe in when you're working with other people or speaking to a group um, without turning people off and losing support? Yeah,
2: really applause for the question. That was such a good question. That was my stalling tactic. (laughs) So here's, here's another thing that I've learned. And I think this goes back to my comment of leaning, like in my younger self, leaning more toward the dictatorship versus my current self, which is leaning more toward leading with vision here's what I have found. And I, I think this is probably universally true. People are inspired by what the future and success can look like. They are inspired by what an outcome can look like. They are not inspired by you telling them how to get there. And so if you lead, and this is what differentiates between a leader and the people who are implementing, the leader can articulate what success is. The leader can articulate the impact of success. Here's what we want to do, and here's why. Here's what it's going to do for the community that we serve. Here's how it's going to bring you meaning and delivering that success outcome. And if you lead with that, it is shocking how it can rally and motivate people because the people that you're talking to are there for a reason. They're there because of their skill set, because they believe in you, because they believe in the organization, whatever reason it is, they're there for a reason. And if you can tell them what success looks like, it allows them the freedom to activate whatever it is that makes them good at what they do, but delivering it against what success looks like. It also... You know, I think sometimes we overimpose our way of doing things on people in a way that makes us judge their competency, when the reality is they may be much more competent than we realize if we just let them evolve within, within what success looks like versus how we think they should do it. And that is a big transition when I look at my own career from being the operator to the leader. It is really easy as an operator to say, well, this is how you should do it. I've seen it. I've tested it. I've done it. Do it this way versus this is what we want to accomplish. What can you do that's better than what I did? And so that's how I would approach it. Yeah, I actually had, that's a great question.
0: Thanks, Alex. Um, Yeah, I actually had an aha moment around this one where, where I learned to meet someone where they're at in a conversation. You know, I think previously I had probably would be more willing to say, no, this is my opinion, it's right, especially around things with women in sport, you know, areas I considered my expertise. And I was at—I was actually at um, the Triathlon Business International Conference. Actually, no, it was the first year it was Endurance Exchange. And Lisa and I were hosting a session about diversity and inclusion. And a man stood up at the back of the room. And after we did our presentation, wanted to tell us, like, all the ways that he's helped women in triathlon. Um, and, like, between the lines was, like, kind of implying that that our presentation was not necessary. We hear this a lot in triathlon. Like our presentation wasn't necessary. Women already have equal prize money. We're good. You know, we're good. And I, I listened to He talked for quite a long time. <laughs> so as I stood there, and my face must have been funny because a couple of my friends like took a picture of me. It's like, and put it on their social. Like, this is what happens when Sarah doesn't know how to respond. Um, <laughs> so I had a moment to kind of go, what am I going to say? Like, I just wanted to shout at him, you know, like I was getting angry and I and I just realized like in that moment, I was like, the only way to actually help shift this moment is to like meet him where he's at, where where is that place? And so I picked out like one strand of something that he said that I knew he would like would be like a point of agreement. And it, and it, it worked like he it worked in a way that like I think he listened to what I was saying, and I was able to, to then make my points. Like I started where he was and then moved through. And I don't know, like, I, obviously I don't know if that was a amazing moment for him or not, but like, it was, it was definitely,
1: it definitely was this aha moment for me on that. Yeah. And I hear this from a lot of coaches, both male and female, but especially like on the female side, um, that with the, the way that sometimes social media can kind of pull this cancel culture, they're, they're scared to put things out there, whether that's a coaching tip or, you know, something that they're talking about as far as where they stand on a certain thing. How can we help encourage, or how have you guys with your staff helped encourage them to be like, Hey, let's be curious. Let's not be judgmental, or let's not also be scared to take a stand or say something important or, um, and then at the same time, how can we also help Kind of across the board, not always make it feel like a, that there's more than two sides. Like it's not an us versus them or it's not because I know that a lot of people struggle with that. They're like, what if I believe this? I don't want to put it out there because then the opposing side might come at me. How can it be more like this is collaborative, not like black and white?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Casey. Yeah. We deal with this. Like I keep saying advice to you, like the big, the bigger we get, the more we're going to have to deal with trolls. Like (laughs) I keep saying, but like we, you know, when you start talking about a topic, you and uh, on social media in particular, you start with like a circle of people who agree with you. And as you get bigger, (laughs) you know, less and less people agree or have different opinions or are completely different. So, um, for me, I think there'd be layers to that. Like one would be, we put out a lot of content about uh, women deserving equal pay in sport. Um, and there are people who come onto our social and will just like say really mean and ugly things about women in sport um, <clears throat> to that point. And so that those we like either just ignore or delete. Like there's a there has to be that level at which like this is I'm not going to spend my time trying to convert that person to agree that women in sport deserve equal pay. That's not worth it. Um, We do also have times in which people have like a difference, either a difference of opinion, right, or have been hurt by something related to what we're saying. And we Mm -hmm. can talk to them about that. I think Celine talked about this yesterday um, a little bit in her talk, like where actually just like listening and hearing what the person has to say. So um, I've had a couple of times where people in our community, like they've made a comment and it is someone who I want to have the conversation with. So I either will do it right there on the page and say, hey, like, thank you for sharing. I've heard you, you know, some people I've invited on podcasts (laughs) because they have a difference of opinion on something and I want to hear more about it. Um, And then we have the conversation right there. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, like, I'm sorry that like, because eventually sometimes the, the hurt behind what they're writing on social, if they're like, especially if they're in attack mode actually will come out if you're kind to them. Um, so we do deal with that a fair amount. Um, and I think like always, like always just proceeding with kindness unless, unless they're beyond that line, which I think I would proceed with kindness with trolls as well, but it's just like, uh, we only have time and energy for so much.
2: And I'll just add a comment to that. Um, That when I think about our organization, USA Triathlon, we are and have been, at least since I've been there, a progressively minded organization who values diversity, equity, inclusion and access. And that's represented in some of our policies. So, for example, our gender inclusion policy. And when you look across our organization, we have 70 something employees. I don't know what their political uh, points of view are. And it doesn't matter, we wouldn't ask them that, nor is that something that is relevant to their job. but in their job, they must deliver against the or or for the organizational priorities and values. so I think that's something to think about as well as you look to expand your circle is that everyone's going to have different views, and that's just the reality of our country and we're a very divided country right now and I do think that there's, it's important to be open and inclusive in who we surround ourselves with. However, you need to be very aligned around your organizational values and your organizational point of view, and make sure that those you surround yourself with, especially professionally, if you're employing people or if you work alongside people, that they are professionally aligned with delivering against your values and priorities, so if there were ever someone in USA Triathlon's organization who did not support in a way that was outward or impactful to the delivering of our priorities, they wouldn't have a home there because it wouldn't be aligned with what we're trying to do as an organization. And so I think that that's something to think about as well. Um, it's a little bit. You know, I, different than the point of view of, of how do you deal with people. Who, you're always going to have trolls and you're always going to have people who disagree with you, whatever your point of view is. But making sure that everything you do and the people you employ and surround yourself with are operationally aligned with your values. that That is essential.
1: All right. So um, I've read the book. Um, I'll probably mess up the title. Entrepreneur roller coaster kind of thing. Darren Hardy. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. And the thing I think for me, despite being an endurance athlete with a lot of grit and determination for that, you know, 10, 15, 17 hour race, whatever you're out there for, it's a longer haul as a entrepreneur. And I'm just asking if you have any personal suggestions or resources, books, tips, things to just keep filling that mindset to keep you going, you know, all the mantras and things. I've got plenty for when I'm on a course or in a, in a lake or whatever, but from a business perspective, you know, any resources or tips that we can take away with us and go add to our list of books and things and to help us just keep that going and help us along the roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs>
2: I'm like, oh, Vicky, read more than me. Um, <laughs>
0: okay. I think the first thing that was coming to mind as you were, I didn't have a mantra in my head as you were asking the question, but the first thing that came to my mind was like the balance between work and rest, because I definitely am someone who can like keep going and going. And then I'm like off the cliff. It's like, oopsie daisy, forgot my parachute. Um, So like actually learning for yourself where those lines are and the fact that it changes, like it changed for me as my job changed. So it was like when I was, um, when I was first starting and I'm just working by myself all day long, it's easy to set boundaries Right. And now I have a team in an office and like, you know, people but now we have Zoom meetings, which is like, which can turn into like all day meetings, by the way. Like when we had in-person meetings, it was like three or four meetings a day and you're done, you know. Um, so there's a different energy level there. So there's this constant need to like for me to recognize that like my need for a break might not be the same as it as it was and that's something I actually learned from training. So I think a lot of the a lot of the lessons that I take into entrepreneurship don't necessarily come from the race itself like the fact that we can be out there for a long time but actually come from the training because that's where consistency is needed, right? And then when I was training especially in like the latter part of my career when I was a more mature athlete, I would have I had this ability to say to do the training block until the training block was done and then say OK, it's even if I had another hard session plan, I need rest now, you know, or if I'm feeling good, I can do another session in this block and I'll take tomorrow off. Right. So and I think that like that, even that ability to be a little bit, um, what do you call it flexible in the way that you're in the way that you plan things and just say, OK, I need rest now can can really help keep you fresh and motivated because the motivation is related to the rest that you take. Right.
2: Um so that would be mine. There's so many analogies to endurance sports aren't there because I I couldn't agree more that it's about being really intentional and purposeful about your rest. It's also about being intentional and purposeful about your output. And I think about this, how many of you use the term garbage miles when you're riding? I used to, when I lived in New York, you would have to, I would like ride over the bridge to New Jersey, but the first seven miles is just garbage miles, right? You're like stop and go. It's just, you know, trying not to get hit by a car, like trying to miss a cat, like whatever it is. So garbage miles. And one thing that I realized when I was in business school, I was working full time, traveling 20, you know, 200 days a year for work, plus in business school on, you know, part-time. And it was one of the most intense times in my life. And I was also bike racing. And I remember when I was focused on my bike racing, I had this philosophy and I had a little post-it note. I'm a big believer in post-it notes. I was telling them a story about a post-it note story last night. Um, I had a post-it note up that said, no garbage miles. And I purposefully every day would, as a part of my journal practice, say, what am I going to do to eliminate garbage miles today in my life? And so I think as an entrepreneur, when you're living something, there's no off time. So how do you, one, be intentional of saying, by shutting down, I'm not only creating space for the thing that I'm building, I'm creating space for my people. I'm also creating space for myself. And when I'm not shut down, I am Only focused on purposeful, intentional work that eliminates garbage miles, and that's hard to do. And sometimes you don't know you're in the garbage miles till you're till you're in it. Um, And sometimes it's in hindsight, but that will guide you moving forward.
0: And I think too, like as a business grows, like what your garbage miles are change, and what your capacity to do work before you need rest in a certain area also changes as your skill set develops. So it's like, it's just an ongoing, I I mean, I had to, believe it or not, (laughs) people who work for me might not believe this, but like, I used to be like a planner and I used to think through everything. Like I was an academic, like I thought through everything. I did the research, I had the notes, you know, and then I wrote the chapter. Right. And like, I looked around and I realized that like people who were being successful at the things that I needed to be successful at We're actually like running on intuition a lot more than I was willing to at that time. Right. So I'm like, how do I do that? Like, how do I fly by the seat of my pants a little more, get comfortable with that and get comfortable with my own ability to make a decision on the spot? So that was like a big, I don't know why I was answering that way, but that was, a, that was definitely like a big shift for me in terms of how I um, managed my energy too.
1: Okay, my question is, um, it's kind of like, what would your charge be to this group of women of why it's important for them to stay the course, right? Because we know entrepreneurship's hard. We know like building things are hard. But um, like, why is it important specifically for women in our endurance sport space to be doing this and, and putting themselves sometimes through like crap and hell and like all the things or a lot of fun too. And all bad. Do you want to go first on that?
2: It's her stall tactic. I, yes, <laughs> life is better with a cat story. I will say, actually, as a cat story. I actually was one of those very judgy people who were like a cat person. Ooh. And now I have two cats and I'm a total cat person. So, a, a, t- a testament how life, how we change in life. So, I, I would say to answer your question is that every single person in this world is unique and special and incredible and has capacity for greatness and is infused with so much talent. And the reality is, is that we are only ever as fulfilled and happy and successful as we choose to be. And every single day is a choice. And I think that if you live your life every day with trying to figure out how am I tapping into maximizing and fulfilling my own potential, that that is what will give you purpose. That is what will surround you with people who lift you up. And that is what will present you with opportunity. Every opportunity is based on action and every action is based on confidence and realization internally of what's possible for you. And that's a practice and that evolves because every action and opportunity compounds. So what was possible for you 10 years ago is going to set you up for what's possible for you today and 10 years from today. So when I think about the sustainability and longevity of whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's putting your financial resources on the line to be an entrepreneur, or whether it's doing a side hustle, or whether it's just thinking differently about how you live your life every day, employed by someone else, or maybe not even being employed, maybe being a stay-at-home mom to cats and dogs and kids, whatever it is, it's how do you maximize who you are in that day with the opportunity that surrounds you? And if you do that, you will find purpose in what it is that you're doing. And it doesn't have to be entrepreneurism. It can be whatever it is that you see yourself doing and not finding shame in any of it, but finding opportunity, joy, and potential in all of it.
0: Thank you. I don't know how to follow that up. Um, (laughs) I was thinking about how, like, my own journey with Ironman. This is where, like, I think I learned this lesson about staying the course, like, In my body, (laughs) like because I like when I was in my mid 20s, I had gone, I was on the British national team. I'd gone to a long course world championships and I won. No, it was a European championships and I won. And I said, Oh, I think I can win Ironman. Right. And 10 years later, I had not won Ironman. And I had like collected like a series of like podiums. It's like not a terrible career, honestly. But like when you set your sights on, on winning ironman and you see the, you see your ability to do it like i saw that i had the physical like capacity to do that it just felt like heartbreak after heartbreak you know and then i i'm like i almost like right at the line before i actually did win i didn't win till i was 38 years old um i actually almost quit like i was really close to it was just like one conversation with a friend that like turned me to like she's like just try one more time and then i won that race and and i feel like having gone through that, I think what I would do differently is like allow for the process a little more. Like I think I was getting caught up in the heartbreak of like of not winning. Right. Which is like I I just could have enjoyed that journey a lot more. And so I think with my business, it's like when there's heartbreaks and shit happens and like you just keep going, you know, and just keeping going. And I eventually did get there and I eventually did win that race and I even got to the place even before I won that I was comfortable with how my career had been like I was like oh holy shit like I didn't celebrate all these second places and third places properly you know um so I missed something there so I think like yeah I it's I see it a lot like where people um start something and then scrap it and then start something else. And I would just like encourage everyone to like instead of scrapping it, like think about evolving it. If it needs to change, let it change. Um, but let it go through its natural process and and enjoy it. Cool. Okay, I think that's it. Back to Catherine. Thanks, everyone. And use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right. You get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY. F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click
1: through there.